Welcome to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. Join attorneys James Moore, Kevin Littlejohn, and Misty Blagg as they explore law, technology, and persuasive arguments. Sit back, relax, and listen to your Zealous Advocate. Welcome back to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. We're so glad to have you join us today. I am healthcare attorney Misty Blagg with my co-host Tom Harvey and Kevin Littlejohn. Today we've got an exciting guest in store, Brooke Singer, and we'll bring her on just a later in just a little bit later in the episode. Tom's becoming a bit of a regular here, Tom. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm right. glad that to see you here more. You know, well, and that's no pun if you know what I'm saying. See you here more. Oh. Come on, well, we have to. Come on. We have to thank Mr. James Moore, who always seems to be a little too busy to join us. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it's like up top. Yeah. Us lowly ants don't get that privilege. Really, I know you're winning the starring position at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we w- we're going to dive a little bit into Title IX today, and, and the reason for that is our guest is um, a female tackle football player, and we'll <laughs> we'll hear more from her on her journey to um, to playing tackle football ball as an adult but right now we're gonna tackle title nine uh, okay. that, <laughs> that, that was cringe but i like the come effort on, i like the on. effort but it was cringeworthy <laughs> <laughs> so tom if you can jump in there you have some experience with title nine in the scope of athletics you know when we say title nine protections what does that mean well, I think in the scope of athletics, it's kind of a, a narrow scope for Title IX, but but particularly Title IX uh, in general covers the requires equal treatment, uh, or excuse me, uh, outlaws uh, disparate treatment basis on sex in an educational environment. So, basically, simply put, men and women in an educational environment, which often also includes sporting environments, have to be treated equally. You can't be discriminated on based on your sex, but the application of Title IX goes far beyond just sports, uh, particularly in modern day. I've seen, I have seen, with relation to the sporting activities, there's got to be equal opportunity for women just as much as men to have access to certain sporting events as well. So, right. for instance, I can't have a school that only offers men's volleyball. Or you can, maybe if there's not enough numbers. But typically, if the numbers are there, if you're going to offer men's volleyball to um to males and you've got to have some sort of equal opportunity for women in the form of female or women's volleyball. So uh, that's where I've seen a lot of, at least in the athletic sphere, uh, title nine issues was, which was having the ability for women to have the same opportunity to participate in sporting activities. Right. And title nine is just coming up. I think last year was its 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, so although it's a, it's a fairly old law, we're constantly seeing sort of new evolutions of it as spit out by different court precedent. Mm-hmm. I know Tom, you were talking about just a, a case we saw this year, which spoke to damages related so, to a title nine claim. Yeah, actually last year, uh, the United States Supreme court, uh, in ruling on the Rehabilitation Act, so this kind of gets a little convoluted, but there's a number of cases uh, in, or laws passed by Congress that are called spending clause cases, whereby it's kind of a carrot and stick method where Congress can force or encourage institutions yeah, to do what it wants. Yeah, not force But basically they're spending money. Um, and in that, the Supreme Court in a six to three decision that we see so often lately ruled that uh, claimants under Title IX can only collect for economic harm. So there's no longer an emotional distress 
uh, damages component. And and so often in these Title IX cases and the Rehabilitation Act, which is what this case actually decided under, what you see are emotional damages based upon discrimination. So in the Title IX context now, it's it, damages are, are kind of up in the air and, and frankly, unfortunately, limited in, in certain contexts. Obviously, you can still bring enforcement actions against the institutions, but for individual claimants to recover it's it's become very difficult i think that's really messed up too because i was thinking about this as we were we were having our spirited debate upstairs on this <laughs> on this topic Is that what we call it? <laughs> so you know and we'll get into the the other avenues that you know maybe we could think about creating relief for a potential victim because you mentioned earlier tom that those damages have to be identifiable and particular to the actual victim him or herself in in the cases and largely all the cases the victim is a, is a minor right so we don't get the emotional damages just off of a claim, but it's almost to me saying that it's got to be of a severe nature that required you to have some sort of medical or psychological treatment that can be quantifiable in order for you to have some compensable damages as a minor. And even then, it's your parents who've spent that money. So I, I'm confused. I know we talked about how egregious the conduct can be, can expose one to a punitive damages issue, but where, if at anywhere, can a minor say, Hey, this is where I can recover. So I think if you can make out a claim for the, you know, intentional torts or negligent torts, you, you certainly have those claims. And, and for people listening who want to read the opinion I've, we're talking about here, it's Cummings v. Premier Rehab uh, Keller PLLC. It's 142 Supreme Court 1562. But that case really, even to that extent, kind of narrows the scope of damages to something that uh, the institutions could be put on notice that they would be liable for. And the Supreme Court really has said that it's going to be straight up economic loss. So these emotional, which is what you normally see, emotional distress torts that would be linked to it, you'd have to make out a separate claim for intentional infliction, which is an incredibly high bar. But but there's also still, I don't want to make it sound like there's there's no recovery. I mean, currently in California, there's a group of individuals who are suing San Diego State University, a bunch of female athletes who who their case has been allowed to move forward based on the da- on the theory of damages for the uh, disparate allocation of uh, scholarship funding, primarily related to the canceling of certain female sports halfway through a, a season and those athletes losing their scholarships. And that right there is an economic loss. Yeah. So there is still... A- yeah, but in reality, how is that going to hurt uh, the ability to sort of enforce Title IX? Because, you know, really when you're thinking about it from our perspective as a lawyer, why are we going to take on a case like that? A lot of times they're on contingency. Kevin, how do you think that affects? Well, I, I would – well, I think – and we talk about this a lot of times in our staff meetings on what different cases mean as far as value to your practice, to your development, to the firm. I think there are some cases that obviously have a high degree of financial – impact on the firm in your million dollar multi-million dollar cases there's some cases that have a high degree of societal impact regarding how you know the community you interact with the community and then there's some that these first impression issues that for those like tom you know who have a, a a deep thirst for diving into the many different areas of an issue that hasn't been completely resolved creates a challenge um that a lot of lawyers i think want to meet sometimes and and, and certainly enjoy 
being on that cutting edge of the jurisprudence of. Um, so I think that's that's where lawyers get get um, attracted to certain issues. And I think like Tom and, and people and James and Tom, you know, you become well more well rounded to the point where people will then become to rely upon you and your expertise right. on how to analyze issues. And I'll jump in there too and say I think Kevin's actually hit on something very important, and that's that's the societal benefit to bringing some of these claims. Obviously, bringing if there is a pattern and practice of discriminatory behavior, bringing an enforcement action against these institutions is does a world of good. And just because an individual claimant might not have the the financial recovery doesn't mean that there's not penalty and pain to be extracted from an institution. Additionally, you know, if from an attorney's standpoint, that essentially we got to keep the lights on in a building. Mm-hmm. I will say that if a claimant can recover even nominal damages, that uh, under Title IX, you can recover attorney's fees. So if part of it is to litigate the societal harm that comes from this discrimination, there certainly is that, you know, angle as well. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, recovering attorney's fees. You know, sometimes we, you know, do take cases on for all different types of reasons. Uh, I just see it being a little bit more challenging if there's not a a larger recovery. But there's more than, you know, you can bring a Title IX lawsuit, right? We call them claims and stuff. And then there's also a way to make a Title IX complaint to the Office of Civil Rights. And those are very different things, Um, you know. Anybody can bring a complaint, right? You could just be a a bystander upset that your local high school is not offering equal opportunities. But how is that different, Kevin, when you actually have to bring a claim into court? I think, and and I was thinking about this upstairs before we came down, I look at it almost parallel to what's required under Title VII um, with respect to filing a Form 5 with an EEO officer or an EEOC to where an individual victim who's got potential damages has to, you know, articulate what's occurred, what's happened. There's then this initial review of um, the information to determine whether or not there's a potential violation. And then you've got the work at that point that I think the complaint becomes, you know, more possible that you've got to then find a way to articulate the claim, articulate the facts, articulate, you know, the course or manner of discovery and relief that you may want to find. And so I think, you know, just like in the Title Seven, just like in the Title Seven scope, you know, you've got a little bit of a baton sort of relay mm-hmm. race, meaning the victim initiates it with the Form 5 and Title Seven. I'm sure that the Title IX complaint the same. And then the lawyer comes in after that, and they've been given some sort of assurance that there's a right to sue, quote-unquote. I know I'm using Title Seven language, but... And then you go and, and draft your complaint. Yeah, so, you know, in Becker v. North Dakota University Systems, we saw this. This was uh, a January 9, 2023 decision where four female athletes who were not currently enrolled at the university, the court said they could not challenge the elimination of the women's hockey team because their alleged injury was hypothetical. So, Tom, if you could talk to us, this is a standing issue it, it appears and and sort of what's the elements of standing here <laughs> we're talking about before the I'm supreme court term or now <laughs> um look the the traditional standards for standing kind of a weird way to say that under article three of the constitution require a, an injury in fact uh a redressable harm mm-hmm. and, and that you are the actual party who that the court can give redress to. So, mm-hmm. look, I can't bring a lawsuit based upon discrimination to my sister, mm-hmm. but 
you know, if I am in some way harmed, then I can bring bring that litigation. So to say, you know, that I'm a field hockey player and I wanted to go to, you know, St. John's in three years and St. John's decided not to offer field hockey starting next year. Well, I haven't really been harmed because there's nothing that they can do to re- bring me back and make me whole. Right. It's, it's a I think that it's a traceability issue, too, is where you can't trace the harm to anyone in particular because there's no harm that's occurred to you. Right. And so that's a very important distinction between a complaint and and an actual lawsuit. You you know, and not to muddle, you know, controversial topics here, but I'd be I'd really be interested to see how that case would play out today in light of the Colorado website designer case where Mm -hmm. she had never been asked to make a website. It was a hypothetical question. The court ruled in her favor. So standing is a hot button issue here, you know, in front of the Supreme Court right now. And it'd be interesting to see how some of these cases that were kicked on standing before maybe maybe the court would look the other way and find that some of these plaintiffs do have standing now. Yeah, I mean, it, things are ever-changing, and that's why, as an attorney, you're having to constantly go back and re-examine the precedent uh, and see what claims are available to your client. And that can be very challenging. Kevin, you know, when you're bringing a claim in court, um, you know, do you check any case law, like, right between the time you write your brief and when you go in there to, to do oral arguments? Um. <laughs> Certainly, I, ch- I check case law. I think in between the brief writing being completed and then time for the oral argument, I think we'll all agree. We largely spend a lot of time dissecting the opposing counsel's brief and reading those cases and trying to research those cases. And so if they have you know, relied on a case that I may not have relied upon or I'm unfamiliar with, then I'll certainly do a, a lot of digging and diving into um, the cases. Certainly want to see if there's anything new that's developed over the yeah, course of yeah. uh, of the litigation. A lot of times that isn't true, but that actually happened to us uh, me and uh, Gary in one case, and so that was uh, an interesting issue. Uh, it happened what, to you all, too. That's, think. What, that's what happened to me. It's how I know so much about Cummings. Is yeah. <laughs> we were litigating a Title IX case, and we filed the case in 2021. We briefed it in early 2022, mm-hmm. and after briefing was done, uh, we go to mediation, and the opposing counsel pulls out, hey, by the way, two weeks ago the supreme court decided this case what are you going to do about it and so really that that's how you have to start thinking on your feet and and really how quickly the law on these kind of subject matters can change and and really paying attention to those those cases that that are tracking your fact patterns yeah yeah absolutely from a from a healthcare perspective though misty how does and and i'm struggling and i know you'll know more about it than myself where if anywhere does would Title IX come into play? Is that in a med school kind of scenario, or is it not really touch much on health care or the health practice? Well, you know, I think it, it's just equal opportunities. You know, do you have equal access to facilities, right? Mm-hmm. Did the female, because there are times when you, you have different facilities. Is the female locker room as nice as the the, mm-hmm. the male locker room? And and so, you know, I, I think there's a potential for it to play in there, although it's not, you know, a prominent issue mm-hmm. uh, as much. Well, you know, I think Tom brought a, a topic up earlier when we were having our healthy debate which I get a little spirited about. <laughs> oh, this is about to be exciting. <laughs> I'm going to sit back. I don't remember this at all. <laughs> but, you know, do we even need Title IX anymore? Is it because we just sunsetted affirmative action, Kevin? Oh, no, it's coming back. You know, we just sunsetted it temporarily at least. Yeah. But do is it time for Title IX to go away? What does everybody think? No, I'll let Tom go first. No, <laughs> absolutely not. I don't think it's time for Title IX to go away. I think Title IX serves an important function in in our society and in our culture. I mean, look, 
Title IX is different than affirmative action, just where it is based in the law. This is a program passed by Congress to fund public education and saying that if we're going to give public public financing, then we need equal treatment. You can't. Well, you just said earlier, why can't we just all play together? Now, that was off air. Now, that was oh, off air. Also, that is very much a... Uh, That's a Tomism. I'll You're say a devil's that, advocate. No, no, I'll say this. That, that is very much taking my statement out of context and, and trying, <laughs> trying to bait me into taking a hyperbolic position to further the discussion again. I think that... So, oh, but, 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 but if we want to go there, we can leave it all in and, and say, look, I think at a certain point, at a certain age, then, then sure, why... Why shouldn't young children up to a certain age play together and learn to cooperate together? And if we're going to continue to build a society where we want to further integrate and diversify the workforces, society, put women on the equal footing they deserve. Hell, they should probably be superior in a lot of cases. But then we shouldn't be saying that, hey, Ladies, you you go play on this other team and you're going to have a lower goal post and you're going to have a bigger goal and you're going to play from tees further up. We're all we're all, you know, 10 years old. Let's all go just play, learn, learn to play the same games together, I think is the hyperbolic point I was trying to make earlier. But uh, to which I said, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's interesting, you know, and, and we were talking about this prior to, to getting on air that the or Title mm-hmm. Nine was codified in what, 1972, I think. 1972, because it's a yeah, 50 year anniversary just happened. And so I'm, I'm curious, given the way that society is started, starting to trend with these, you know, differentiations between gender and sex and things of that sort, how integral Title IX will be to sort of propelling, you know, the LGBTQIA um, issues with respect to equal and fair treatment? Because I think that's going to have to be a vehicle that they'll have to rely upon heavily to get such treatment. Yeah. No, I was going to say you're absolutely right. There have been there have been seminal cases in the last two or three terms of the Supreme Court where, surprisingly, it, they have kind of leaned in that direction. That on the basis of sex means on the basis of sex, and it doesn't it doesn't get into whether or not in 19 what 72 yeah. they contemplated you know right sexuality. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I just, I came from when we were debating, I come from a point where I'm a mother of girls, I, w- I have been a woman in, you know, playing athletics, and you can say, hey, let's all play together, but it's the reality of, well, yeah, y- you can be on the same team, but are you getting the playing time? Are they going to work with you to pass you the ball? And yeah. and unfortunately, although I think everybody at this table would play nice together and we, we could all do that, the reality of society is we're not there yet. No. We, are, we are just absolutely not there yet. And hopefully one day we will be. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, having raised girls and being a woman, we are not. Well, I, that's, and you raise a great point because I have, a, I have an example we played in, in law school. We had intramural teams where we played flag football. We played flag football all three years. First two years, it could be an all-guys team. It could be an all-girls team. There were, there were no um, co-ed requirements on that. Then our third year, they put in a co-ed requirement that you had to have six guys on the field and two ladies on the field. Mm-hmm. And the first few games – the ladies never got the ball at all. Yeah. They raised all kinds of cane about it, rightfully so. Then they put in a rule that requires you to pass to a lady one time every four downs. Right. Obviously, that took the men 
in May, that's very like, why do we have to choose? Well, you know, why if we only have two women on the field, you tell us where the balls go at least on one down. It's kind of, you know, easy to, to defend that. And so there was this tension that was created by the rules between the men and women that I thought was unnecessary. And, and you hate to get to a point where tension between men and women is created by legislation. I, I think that that would be very unfortunate. And I, and I don't think from the women's perspective in that flag football scenario that they were even happy with no. the way that they were being sort of coddled or, or babied by the rule makers on their participation well, I think in they the would have wanted the men to arrive at that right. that conclusion naturally right. but, <laughs> but that's always been a, a tough thing so you know i probably take it too passionately at times and and uh that's just who i am <laughs> hey, it's all fun it's all it's all love it is all love well let's talk about a fun topic yes. what's our top three <laughs> law movies of all time let's all. go Let's go, Kev. Like a lawyer movie or yeah. just got law enforcement? Well, a lawyer movie. Let's let's uh, number one to me would be a time to kill. Um with Matthew McConaughey, Samuel Jackson setting in the Jim Crow South. One of the first movies I can recall where I, I, I saw that and I said, I want to be somebody like that when mm-hmm. I get to practice. And so that was that was number one. Uh number two. There was the, uh, I'd probably say, Roman Israel, the Denzel Washington movie, okay. where he sort of had this, metaph- well, not metaphysical, but mental shift where he was doing good, saw the money, started doing bad, realized he was doing bad, started doing good again. I like that one a lot. Uh, and then my last legal movie that I thought was exciting Oh, what was the one where where Michael B. Jordan was 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 uh, the the lawyer from from Harvard who was working in the South to free uh, Jamie Fox? I don't know if I saw that one. I'm gonna look that up, but it, okay. that was a powerful about. movie. It was it was okay. Michael B. Jordan free or maybe Jamie Fox. But I'm gonna look that up while y'all talk about. Jordan. Okay, Tom, what's yours? Well, <clears throat> that's a tough question over there, Misty. I think uh, <laughs> I think probably my favorite one, and the one that I think it might be the best courtroom scene of any yeah, yeah. movie ever, is My Cousin Vinny. Oh, I was uh, gonna—you stole I, that yeah, one. Yeah, I, that I mean, look, look, that his cross examinations of the witnesses when he finally decides to be a lawyer, I think, is some of the the best portrayal of a cross-examination in in a movie obviously you can't get a wrong can't go wrong with a few good men um not really the most realistic portrayal of a of a jag trial but it's 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 great <laughs> tom cruise is super compelling and then maybe not something that everybody thinks of as a legal movie but i love michael clayton george clooney playing a fixer a, a legal expert i mean he's not really a courtroom attorney but he's out there fixing problems and and uh you know, he's he's the guy you call when you need something to go away. Mm. That movie was Just Mercy, by the way. Uh, just Mercy. I'll have to watch movie. that, Kevin. Just Mercy. Um, I have to go back. I'm rom-com girl, so I'm going to have to say Legal Eagles with Robert Redford. And, <laughs> you know, it's just a great one. <laughs> <laughs> and then Philadelphia. Oh, yes. That, that was just a really mm. great movie because I was raised when this whole scare of um, HIV and AIDS, you know, I remember being in my, you know, in sixth grade, seventh grade in the gym and then talking about how you keep safe, what what happens if you're bleeding and then mm. this whole, you know, era developed of just huge discrimination. And so that that movie really hit me hard. And uh, I, I still enjoy one. it. That was a that yeah. movie was ahead of its time. Yeah. That movie was ahead of its time and how it, it sort of eased the anxiety in American culture surrounding the 
uh, HIV and AIDS epidemic. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. Come on, guys. We oh, no. Is that the Atticus Finch movie? Yes. I've never seen it. Are you serious? I've never seen it. You wow. should read the book. It's I heard better. that. Have you it's never better. read the book? I know Atticus Finch. I know who the, the character is, I but I, I don't know. I've never... Never read the novel. I saw the Jeff Daniels, Aaron Sorkin uh, adaptation on Broadway on its second night at run up in New York a couple years ago. It was fantastic. What's the gist of the, of the, of the plot? Oh, God. Kevin, we need a, we need yeah, a, we Kevin, we need a recap both y'all take to, kill a deep a, breath. to kill a mockingbird for you. Okay. Uh, Southern white lawyer, yeah. a black man convicted of a crime that he did not commit, and a... Atticus Finch, the Southern white lawyer, has to go to his defense in a racist small town in Alabama, yep. mm. and uh, the town turns against him. But he he does his job to to defend the the wrongly accused. That sounds like a time to kill. Yeah. Well, you should just go read the book. I will. I'd rather read. Let's have book club, and it, we'll read it. It's a short read, Kevin. <laughs> well, I have to say, my my favorite new TV show is She Hulk. You oh know. God! I've never heard of that one. The, you, oh my no, God! You gotta yes. go watch She-Hulk. No. That sounds like a Marvel. <laughs> that animation is, is is hard. It's hard for me to get get behind that, given this, the low CGI quality of it. Well, it's time to shift back and get serious and bring on our guest today, Brooke Singer. Brooke, it is so wonderful to have you here. You are currently a senior at the Fashion Institute of Technology and a football player. And your team, I believe, just won a national championship. Is that right? Yes, we did. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. She even has the bling. Well, tell me, how did you get into tackle football? I think this just is a, a phenomenal thing that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, many people don't know about tackle football or the fact that women can play on a professional level. Um, how I got into tackle football is kind of an interesting story. I had grown up around the sport of football with my family, my dad, my brother. Um, I've been a soccer player my whole life, and it wasn't until I believe, I think it was junior year. It was well before then that I wanted to start playing football. It wasn't until junior year where I was finally allowed to play on the boys team in high school. That had many challenges in itself just to get to that point, but yeah. I've been playing ever since and I've never wanted to forget it. Well, that's great. When we were doing a lead in, we talked about Title IX just a little bit and the challenges that um, uh, women still face. And, you know, I, I believe that you had to challenge your coach just a little bit to get that opportunity to play and then had some struggles. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I equate a lot of my successes today to Title IX um, and its totality. I think because I was the first female to play at this school, I wouldn't have been able to even think about doing it until Title IX was a thing. Um, I saw a quote one day that said, like, we are the daughters of Title IX. And I, I firmly believe that it has given me such an opportunity in almost any sport. It's not just football in itself, but I remember... Honestly, it might have been freshman year in high school when I first came up to the coach and said, like, hi, I'm here to try out. And he was like, cheerleading is over there. <laughs> and oh, I kind of just took the no and was like, OK, guess guess I can't do it. And I hated that. But um, next year came around and I again was like, hey, I'm back. Like, can I try out sophomore year? And he was like, no, I think they had a kicker at that point. Um, and again, I was still playing soccer. So it wasn't until that third year of me coming around being like, okay, listen here, buddy. I mean, I didn't yeah. say it like that, but I was like, you just have to let me try out. I need the opportunity mm -hmm. to show right. you what I can do. Um, 
And again, within Title IX, it's all about equal opportunity. My school did not have, as many schools don't, a women's tackle football team. So therefore, I was granted the same opportunity as the men were or boys were to try out for that team. It was the hardest kicker tryouts I have ever witnessed in my entire <laughs> life, I'll tell you that. But um, I mean, I trained for it. I, I knew that just given the opportunity, I would do absolutely anything I could just to be able to play on that field. Well, once you got the opportunity, of course, you you were able to get on the team. But what was that like playing with the guys? I mean, did they automatically just bring you in, accept you? What What was your experience there? I wouldn't say automatically. I do have a lot of respect for those boys. And I think within time and uh, me growing, I've been able to look back and and understand a little bit more, but there definitely were a lot of hurdles just after even getting on the team um, in terms of being the only female and the first female to do it. I'm a dramatic person. I would go (laughs) home crying to my mom and she'd be like, listen, listen, you're a football player. I'd be like, that's not what it's about. Like, I'm allowed to be upset. And she kept telling me, um, it's baby steps, Brooke. When you're breaking or shattering a glass ceiling, you can't expect everything all at once. And and I didn't quite understand that at the time. I'm like, why can't I? Just because I'm a female, why do I have to deal with this extra X, Y, and Z? Or why do I not get that extra X, Y, and Z? Um, so there was definitely a line that... I I treaded lightly with because I didn't want to complain, but at the same time, in in all transparency, it was, it was tough. Even after I was playing on the team with little things here and there, but at the end of the day, the boys did come around. I played for two years in high school. They did come around and they accepted me as one of their own. I think I always say you can't argue with talent. So at the end of the day, when I was able to perform with them, they, they really had nothing else to say. Well, that, that is a wonderful story. And I, I just think it still rings true a lot. You know, you can overcome those obstacles, but they definitely still exist. Um, well, what really drew you to playing once you, you got out of high school? Why, what made you say, like, look, I can go to do the Fashion Institute and play tackle football. And those things don't necessarily always comport, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to say I'm unapologetically authentic. Um, I was asked a question recently as to how I could transition from my fashion designer self into playing football maybe the next day. And I told them I don't. I don't transition. I don't have some sort of like alter ego. I am, I'm still super, super dramatic, super stylish, and, and I can still be that on the field as well. And I think that's the importance of the story is that authenticity especially in women's sports you don't have to fit this certain mold for that um but i just i loved football like i said i grew up around it i love fashion and i was like why why can't i do both and i didn't know that i had a future in football after high school being a woman it was hard enough to play in high school that i was like okay i'm done there's no other opportunities for me to play i could have still had fun watching but and then that's when i heard about the league and I was like, oh, absolutely. I'm in. Sign me up. Try it out. And the rest now, is history. Now, listen, Brooke, you play kicker. Now, I played ball in college. And so I know how we viewed the kicker. And, I, and now you're not just a kicker. You're also in fashion. And so if it comes to it, and, they, and uh, you know, let's, let's say it's time for you to put, lay the wood on somebody. Are you selling out for the team to lay somebody out if need be? 100%. <laughs> and we have 
we have had those instances and i think it's funny i'm i'm here for the kicker slander and whatnot but <laughs> i do have slander. to preface it with saying like when i started my love of football i loved all of football mm. and being the first female to play on the team, I knew there were going to be limitations with it. And unfortunately, in the world of football, as you know, like the weakest link, and I hate to put it that way, but it was <laughs> the only position that a woman could even kind of fit into um, at the start. So I was I was already a soccer player and, and I knew I could train myself to that position. And that was my in. Mm. Now that I'm in the league, I'm, I'm finally picking up wide receiver stuff, which I was a okay. goalkeeper. So mm. I, I'm... I'm enjoying all of it, but but yes, I laid somebody out before <laughs> kickoff high school, kick in high school even. Really? My coach had me not cross the 50 because in high school sports, especially in Ohio, if the kicker doesn't advance the 50, you can't touch them. Oh. So, um, I followed the rules. I was a good girl in that sense, <laughs> but it wasn't until he, he broke past our, our people and I, I'm the only one left. So I was like, sorry, coach. <laughs> I, gotta do it. I gotta do it. And oh, I loved it. It was like, I'm like, okay, I get it. I get, I get why people love this so much. That's amazing. Well, Brooke, my favorite movie growing up was quarterback princess. And if you've never seen that, like I highly recommend it. So I love what you're doing. How do you balance though right now being on a, you know, football team and doing, um, you know, school? Cause I have to imagine, is it a little bit more, more commitment than say playing a college athletic? Well, so I actually um, did play for my college. I played soccer during the fall, and thankfully there are separate seasons. So women's professional football is played during the spring. So I definitely had my plate full. Um, how did I do it? Just, I think it's the support of others around you. My team is my family. I love them so much. I wouldn't trade anything for them in the world. And they're, they're a support system. So at the end of the day, I. I would have really, really long days at school from like 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. And then I would have to go to practice at nighttime. And then after you get back around 11.30 at night, it's time for homework. So it was just kind of a cycle and a routine that I got used to, but it, it, it's all worth it at the end of the day. I didn't, I, I enjoyed every single second of all of it. And that's why I'm a huge believer in doing what you love. Yeah. Do you talk to or find yourself in the company of other young ladies around the country who are in high school and, and wanting to kind of take the same journey you've had into um, not just professional you know football, but playing football at their high schools. Do you, do you mentor a lot of young ladies in that, in that arena? Yeah. Um, I think when talking about advocacy and everything, yeah. I, that was a big part of my reasoning. I think at first I just wanted to play football and that's how I said it. Um, I'm here to play football, but with all these, adversities that you had to face, you had to find another reason. And at the end of the day, it was all the other little girls, the little girls in the stands, the little girls on social media. And, and eventually when I decided to start talking about my story after the after the matter on social media, um, I was getting thousands of DMs from little girls saying like, how do you play football? Or I didn't know you could play football. And what's great is there were some that I didn't even see for a while and they had sent a new message that I opened. And it was, I look back up to the top and it says like, oh, that's so cool you play football. Like, how do I do that? Mm -hmm. And then a little bit lower, I see a picture of her in uniform. Oh my God, I love oh, that. That's so cool. <laughs> Brooke, seeing, seeing that representation that I personally didn't have mm -hmm. is goal, is the most important thing to me. Yeah. That's wonderful. Brooke, we've talked a lot about you, you know, you playing professional women's football. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the league you play in and your team and, and you know, where, where all these teams are based? Yeah. 
So I play for the New York Wolves. We're in a league called the WFA, the Women's Football Alliance. Um, it has been the longest standing, most competitive women's tackle football um, in the world. Um, I believe there's three divisions with many, many teams all over the place in the United States. I play for the team in New York, obviously. Um, and I I love this league. There's another league as well called the WNFC. Um, I'm not biased. I'm, I'm here to support women's football in general. So um, with this league specifically, it's, it's definitely been an eye-opening experience to be surrounded by such powerful women. Um, a lot of people don't think of us as they do the NFL. And if you think of the NFL, a lot of them are dads. Mm -hmm. I know people don't like, that's not the first thought in their mind when they're thinking NFL. But when I came to try out, I was with a bunch of really cool moms. Yeah, that's and awesome. To see one of mom just had actually has a newborn and she was breastfeeding and she like hands her baby off, puts her pads on and goes and hits somebody. Yeah. And I'm like, this is exactly who I want to be surrounded by. Just powerful, amazing women. Oh, that, I just love that. See, You're I saying all my, my wonderful things. I'm a woman. Hear me roar here. See, I'll tell you why I can respect that because that, <laughs> and I don't know, you might be too young. But at one point in time, there was like this over-sexualization of football on Spike TV where they had this yes. weird league that was created that I thought was just not only offensive to women, but offensive to the spirit and tradition it's of like football. It's like women's wrestling right yeah, now. Yeah, it was something weird. Yeah. And I, I thought that was just extremely distasteful. So it's actually good like to, to talk to a, you know, I'm not saying those women weren't real football players, but to someone who's involved in the, in the, in the real passion and love of the game, playing the game. You know what I mean? Because I was... I, I, I well, I mean, those. honestly, those women, that might have been their only opportunity that to play. Fair. You that know, to, to be... To, to wear that outfit. Well, how long has the... How, sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you No, you go ahead, How Kim. long has the... Has the uh, have both of those leagues been, been standing? Has it been quite some time? The WFA has been around for more than 40 years. Oh, um, cool. The WNFC is fairly new. But in terms of the lingerie league, I'm, like we can talk about, I, I completely agree with Misty that like there wasn't another opportunity for them to play football. And it's unfortunate that the only time that they were allowed to or even to have the tiniest amount of respect um, to be watched while playing was when they were in lingerie. But at the end of the day, they were athletes. Yeah. Like they were, they were still powerful, strong athletes. Um, so thankfully we're, we're again, if we're talking equality, um, we're given a stage. It's still not equal, but we're, we're given a stage in which we can compete football with the same rules and regulations, same uniform stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. How do you intend to, you know, five years from now advocate for, for women in this, uh, in this realm? That's a great question. Um, I think the biggest thing is to, to not settle on the fact that we're just given the opportunity to play. And this is very similar in title nine across all levels of sports, high school, college, professional, um, equal opportunity goes beyond just stepping on that field. It, it's, it's with sports journalism, it's with locker rooms, just opportunities in general that surround the playing field. So in five years, I'd probably still be advocating for even the same amount of press. Representation, again, is so, so important. We see it all over. So the fact that our um, games and stuff aren't streamed on X, Y, and Z as the other ones are, it's not equal. Um, we did just sign an ESPN deal, which was oh, huge okay. for the WFA. 
And I believe that this championship game had like one of the highest viewerships that it's had in a very long time. Um, Snoop Dogg even watched it. So at the end of the day, I think just promoting um, the support of this sport. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, uh, well, Kevin, do you have any other questions for Brooke? Well, yeah, we've talked a lot in, in, in about about the the athletic side, and I've, I've got two things. I'm gonna one substantive, one just from observing your background. There is that a custom crossbody bag that you created in the back right there? The football, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, is that yes. true? This is like, I did create, it's like a warbler breastplate thing that I had to do in school. And then I have a bedazzled football little bag oh, that tough. I love. That's tough. Uh, yeah, that, you got to bedazzle. Is, have you been shocked with all the media coverage that you've gotten? Um. Yeah, I would say I, I have been for me personally, just because I know that I, I love to be a representation Um but I know that I I don't represent the entirety of women's football. So at the end of the day, I think spreading out the coverage of this is really important. And as a a kicker, as we talked about, (laughs) I'm not like the best person to be like, rah, but (laughs) in the same sentence, I think a lot of people can find the comparisons that they like to make between men's football and women's football, specifically within a kicker, because you can't argue with both of us making the same field goal in the same setting. It's like, like you can be like, oh, you're tackling somebody lighter or this and that. You, you can't argue with that when it comes to kicking. That's a great point. Well, where can everybody follow you? I know you're on social media quite a bit and you, you have some really inspirational posts. So my social media is at Brooke Singer, B-R-O-O-K-E-S-I-N-G-E-R-R, um, same as the TikTok. And then my team's Instagram is New York or NY Wolves Football. Well, that is All wonderful. Right. I got Go a ahead. question for you. Game on the line. <laughs> Game on the line. Everything, everybody's around you screaming. You get the chance to put the ball on the right or the left hash. Well, are you right or left footed? Right footed. What hash are you putting the ball on to kick the game winner? What hash? I'm yeah. putting it on the right hash. Okay. Have you kicked? Have you now? Have you kicked the game winner before? Yes. What was that I like? Have. Describe describe that for me, because I've always I've never been a part of a game winner in any sport. <laughs> I've always been the game loser. So and so describe that for me. Well, I actually have done it a few times, which is kind of crazy. Um, but most recently, we had just played the Baltimore Nighthawks at home. It was a big game because we're kind of rivals with them. Mm. And it was double overtime, I believe. Um, it was overtime. And I just remember uh, people were kind of starting to look at me on the sidelines. And I was like, okay, like, no, like, get, get drive, please. Like, no. I was like, no, get, get some extra yards, please. Like, at least get closer. Like, right. um, no, I, I'm, I'm actually like a super anxious person and, and I don't deny that. Yeah. So like routine is really, really important to me when it comes to kicking. So in my head, I like walk out onto the field, kind of blackout, don't remember <laughs> it. But I just remember, I always touch the, the helmet of my holder. Once I touch the helmet of my holder, it tells my body like, okay, you know what's to do. Just right. kick it. Um, don't even really remember it going in. It, it did, obviously. Yeah. And just having like the rush of people come to me and like that being the end of the game and going on 
the sidelines afterwards to see my dad and my brother was a really big moment for me. I was going to ask you what it felt like to have your family there watching you on this charge to your national championship. Yeah, it was, it was so important to me and especially my brother. I think I I owe a lot to him for my love of football. I grew up watching him. So to have him be there for that moment was really big. And my dad hugged me afterwards and he goes, this is the kicker's dream, Brooke. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously everybody likes to talk trash about the kicker, but but really when it comes down to it, they can make or break a lot of things. And I know that my team trusts me. And and that, that was a great feeling. That's fantastic. Y'all have an apparel shop. I'm sure I do an online apparel store. Yes. And we're actually opening side note. This is unreleased information. We're opening (laughs) a few apparel stores soon with like New York inspired, um, bootleg t-shirt cool graphic stuff so you definitely have to check that out it'll be on the new york website i love it awesome well brooke thank you join thank you for joining us here on the zealous advocate podcast to our viewers we appreciate you you taking a look and and you're you following us on spotify Mm -hmm. you can also follow us on youtube and anywhere else where you normally find your podcasts I just have one question. Oh, no, my God. Kevin. No, this, this is a general time, question. This is a general question. Time, is it not in it, on Spotify? Can yeah. you not watch the video on Spotify? Yes, you can watch okay, the video. Okay, my, my Spotify, when I get on it, <laughs> it it's just a, a logo, and I can't I can't see a video. And so I, I and I've Googled this. I don't know how to change it, but um, it's been it's been extremely frustrating for me. Brooke, to, this to is watch Kevin in technology right here. This explains I'm not, I'm not everything. I'm not a technological person, Brooke. I'm old school. <laughs> well, Kevin yet again I'm interrupts sorry. me on our wrap up, but join us next time on the Zealous Advocate Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to follow us wherever you get your podcasts.